Hey there, podcast listeners. It's Courtney here with a special offer just for you. My new book is coming out in April. It's called Looking Up, A Birder's Guide to Hope Through Grief. It's all about grief and sorrow and the ways that birds and birding can bring us to a place of hope. It's a book of faith. It's a book of humor. We would love to give you a 20% discount. You can use this code, IVPPOD20. That's I-V-P-P-O-D-2-0. That code will give you 20% off and free shipping anywhere in the U.S. when you order from ivpress.com. Pick up your copy of Looking Up, A Birder's Guide to Hope Through Grief today. Is the thing with feathers. That's like a bird. Like a bird that perches in the soul. That perches in the soul. Welcome to the Thing with Feathers podcast, a podcast about birds and hope. I'm your host, birding enthusiast Courtney Ellis. Welcome back to the Thing with Feathers podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Ellis. So grateful and excited to have Justin Gerhard with us today. Justin is the creator of Holy Ghost Stories, an Old Testament storytelling podcast. He's the president of Hayes Fire Studios, a nonprofit devoted to expanding the intersection of story and worship. He comes to us from Arkansas. He is a colorblind birder. I'm excited to hear more about that. Welcome, Justin. Thank you. I'm so glad to talk to you. Thanks for being here. I would love to hear first about your journey into birding. Can you even see the birds in the bushes if you're coming? <laughs> uh, actually, sometimes I, I cannot. It's it's a strange thing to love, but I have learned that my colorblindness, uh, I just can't let it keep me from loving things that have color. Otherwise, the entire world would be <laughs> shut off to me. So... Uh, I actually got those uh, colorblind glasses that you've seen on the on the internet um, uh, once years ago, and I turned to my wife, and I freaked out, and she's like, "What's wrong?" And I said, "Is that what color you are?" She said, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "You're like peach, like a crayon." She's like, "Right, that's why they make that, you know, like Caucasian skin tone peach." And I'm like, I, "She's like, what color did you think I was?" And I said, "Off white." Uh, so the world does look different to me, uh, but I am uh, intent on enjoying and exploring the world in spite of my limitations. So yes, with birds, it's been an interesting uh, affinity. Uh, and I would say uh, I've always uh, really had a thing for birds. I was that, um, that like fourth grader, that fourth grade boy who just was super into bald eagles, uh, and, uh, it was obviously very cool. And, uh, and I remember, uh, just, I had these birds, uh, these books of, of seabirds. I grew up in Florida on the coast. So those were the birds that I knew. And, um, yeah, we just love looking at pictures of egrets and herons and, and hingas. And, um, I was just fascinated by birds, uh, all the way, all the way back, but I think have rediscovered that, uh, fourth grader uh, and his love for birds in recent years. Uh, honestly, I think when I've had, when I suddenly sort of had a little bit more time to, to notice birds. Um, hmm. So uh, that's 
So it's a relatively recent sort of rediscovery and re-entry into the world of birds. But yes, as I navigate that world, it is a challenge at times. Uh, I am jealous of people who can just see the red flash of a cardinal uh, immediately uh, or a pop of red in a bush or, uh, or blue. Some, some colors are easier for me than others, but it does have me paying a little bit more attention to shape and uh, flight pattern and size and uh, song. So mm. there are other cues that I can use, but I am jealous of all y'all color sighted people out there. And I think to your point, that those of us who are color-sighted can kind of overly rely on color as our primary marker, which for me, I'm terrible at shorebird identification because they're all some combination of gray, white, black, and and light brown. Like they all are. And, and I've had to learn it's about shape. Like you said, it's about flight pattern. It's about call if you can hear them. But it's so much easier to say red, it's a cardinal. Um, and so that's one of the things, one of my goals for 2024 is to grow an identification in ways other than color because so many many beautiful kinds of birds don't have that pop of color. So then mm -hmm. how can I learn to see better? There are more than, there's more than one way of seeing. That's and true. And I'm lazy. I'm lazy, Justin. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Well, I hope one day you can level up to, to my ability to navigate the world. I'm trying. It's, it's kind Man. of a superpower. I, I, yeah. I, it, it does not feel like that. And it has me longing for, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian, so I believe in uh, resurrection and, uh, and, the, and the sort of restoration of all of creation, including my own uh, body. And so I'm going to be burdened like a champ someday. <laughs> Just be walking around saying, really, you're this color too? I didn't know. Exactly. Did you feel like you were still married to the same woman? Was it a little unsettling that like, this is truly what you look like and I never knew? It was knew. a little unsettling, but when I needed a, a, a break from this Willy Wonka world of matrimony, I could just take the glasses off. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, all right. So you've been a birder your whole life, but you're kind of rediscovering it. Tell us a little bit about that. I know you've been through a journey. You were in ministry for two decades, and now you're in a different form of ministry. Um, and it sounds like that's been a little bit of what's thrown you back into the world of birding. Tell us about your story. What happened in the middle of the pandemic for you? Well, so like everybody, I found myself uh, interrupted uh, during the pandemic and the sudden lack of uh, sort of pause in, in momentum and the clearing of my schedule and uh, the mental white space, um, for me, God used that to uh, really uh, reorient me. I, I felt I had been called to into ministry and had loved doing that for 20 years. And, and then pretty quickly over the course of um, uh, about three months there, uh, I found myself just sort of turned in another direction, felt a sense of gratitude and completion when it came to my time in ministry. Um, and then a real sense of excitement and hope and enthusiasm regarding um, wh what I felt like were just ways of connecting people to scripture and to the divine um, that that were not um, sermons. I'm, you know, big, big believer in sermons. You know, spent a lot of time uh, preaching many sermons, uh, but I just felt like surely there are other channels of communication that would be uh, compelling and that that uh, could be things that really 
bear fruit. And so, uh, so I didn't know what that was, though. I just knew the kind of thing. I knew it, uh, I wanted to do things that involved beauty and story and sound and imagery. Um, but that really was it. I quit my job, and um, I think the church elders were confused a little bit and also really strangely supportive, uh, as were my parents uh, and uh, my in-laws, who both had a vested interest in my family's continued uh, financial <laughs> well-being, given the fact that I was, uh, uh, you know, stewarding their grandchildren and, um, and, and their daughter in my uh, in-law's case. And so uh, they were all very supportive. I think we all, though we didn't, so many, uh, me along with my wife and, and my kids, uh, just felt like it was, in fact, uh, something else that uh, that was next, uh, but I just didn't know what that was. And so in the meantime, uh, we knew we were going to have to really reduce our, our costs as uh, we started to go without my salary. And uh, my wife is an author. And so, um, you know, famously not the most lucrative, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> job in the world. And so we knew, okay, we need to get creative about lowering our costs. And we had just built a house and we said, well, we could Airbnb this beautiful new house that we've just moved into. Um, it would photograph really well uh, at this moment because we haven't really broken it in yet. And uh, if we Airbnb'd the house, then that would free us up to go find a lower rent sort of situation. And uh, quickly we realized that there were much lower rent situations to be had uh, outside of the United States of America. And so that became our plan. We've always loved to travel, come alive in new places. And so we said, uh, well, our girls are just entering middle school. It's already a weird time. Uh, what if we just sort of snatched them away and uh, went and um, lived in different places around the world slowly, not jet-setting week after week, because uh, that's not cheap, but <laughs> living in cheaper places slowly for as long as a tourist visa will allow being smart about flights and all that kind of thing, making sure we landed in places that didn't require us to have any cars or anything like that. Um, we, we ended up being able to uh, do that and live for a year and a half all over the world on you know, roughly a third of what it cost to live in Austin, Texas. I think a lot of people thought, oh, the Gerhards have won the lottery. Um, they, he just quit his job and, and left the country and is traveling around the world. The reality is we got kind of poor for a minute, and mm -hmm. uh, we just found a creative way to, uh, to do that. Uh, and there were certain luxuries that uh, allowed us to do that, certainly. Um, but uh, that's what we did. And, and when we left, we had Malaysia on the radar. That was going to be our first stop. We are going to be in Kuala Lumpur. But then Asia just didn't open up because of COVID. And one of the only places when it was finally, we all kind of thought this was about to be over, right? How long could when, it possibly last? Week one, we thought yeah. it was about to be over. Month nine, I definitely thought it was about to be over. And yet, um, as, as you know, my last day at work was coming and, and our first guests were arriving in our house, um, the, the, the world was just not opening up. And one of the places, one of the only places that was open to American travelers was England. Hmm. Not famously an affordable place to <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, famously however, affordable. <laughs> however, um, thanks to the pandemic uh, 
Airbnb prices, Airbnb prices were much lower than they would be and, and should have been. And so we sort of put in the things that we were looking for. Um, you know, we were going to be living and working and schooling all in this one place. So we needed a, a couple of things that we wouldn't have needed if it were just a, you know, a weekend trip. Put those things into the search filter, and I think four places came up on the entire island, uh, all the way up to Scotland, all the way over to Wales, and down into England. And um, so we picked one, and moved to uh, moved in January of 2021 to this little uh, felt like a little pirate town uh, on the south coast of England called Weymouth, and. Uh, there is this extraordinary um, path, like footpaths in England are, are just a reason to move there uh, because you can just walk everywhere for days and days uh, and uh, even across private property. And so there was, there's this very famous footpath called the Southwest uh, Coastal Path that traces that big peninsula in the southwest corner of England uh, all through Dorset and down into Cornwall and around. And it's just extraordinary. I mean, seaside, cliffside, it's just amazing. Well, we just happened to live in this place all of a sudden that was, you know, a 10-minute walk from from that path. And so during lockdown, which their second lockdown in the UK began six days before we arrived. And so, so we got there and you weren't even allowed to sit on a bench. That was the actual, like Boris Johnson got on the television and announced when you could sit on a bench about two months after we arrived. Because uh, you were allowed to go out and exercise for like an hour a day, but you weren't allowed to stop and sit. And so we thought, well, there's four of us in this family one hour times four is four hours. Once a day, we will go for a four-hour walk so that we don't go absolutely crazy during this time. And uh, so we got a lot of time, thankfully, uh, outdoors mm -hmm. during those early days and throughout our time in England and, and, uh, and beyond because our worlds had just quieted down after a lifetime in ministry and, um, and being continents away from, from our networks. And that quiet, that nature suddenly, um, you know, opened my eyes again to the, uh, among other things, the glory of, uh, of, of the bird world. And uh, it was just so fun to discover these new species um, now that I was in this, uh, across a sea. Um, there were, you know, birds that I'd kind of only seen on TV and, you know, in books and on online. Um, so it was a delight to all of a sudden be in a world of magpies and what I call now the right kind of Robin and, uh, <laughs> chaffinches and, and, you know, all these glorious, uh, birds. And so it just became, then we moved on from England after about five months, but everywhere we were now, whether it was Egypt or, or, you know, Cape Town, South Africa, or Greece, or Northern Ireland just became, among other things, a new place to discover some new mm. birds. Mm. What an adventure. 
What was it like for your girls? Because junior high is this season of life that's, you know, famously awkward and, and, and difficult, but also it can be hard to institute a major change for, for a student in junior high. Did they, did they enjoy it? Was it a mixed bag? It was a mixed bag for both, but it divided to some extent quite nicely that way from one child to the other. Our firstborn, uh, much more adventurous when she was five years old. If we went to a restaurant and, and I ordered octopus, she was very interested and was like, please let me try that. We've got another child uh, who likes to keep it a little closer to home uh, in every way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for a long time was chicken tenders and, you know, refried beans. And so, uh, so for, for each of them, the prospect of going on this, this adventure, this pilgrimage, um, loomed a little different in, in, uh, in their minds from one to the other. And so, uh, it was a lot of those long walks in England, for example. Um, one of our children, we, we would set a timer and sort of give her 12 minutes to just vent about how, you know, lonely she was or how hard this was. And, um, we listened and we empathized, um, and, and it was hard for all of us, really. I mean, we did not anticipate that second lockdown uh, that really stunted all of our potential social connections. And once the, once England opened up in April, it changed for all of us. But um, but yeah, it was it was tough for for each of them. Uh, they they both left a life behind, and and yeah, they're they're young and and uh, and not fully. You know, you're you're not fully inhabiting yourself, and so you're not necessarily just going to stride up to every person and shake their hand and introduce yourself. That's not sort of how sixth grade us works for most of us. Um, but alongside the the challenges, uh, it was a really precious time uh, for all of us. Uh, so much togetherness, so much sort of mutual reliance. It built family bonds. It built faith bonds. Um, you know, that, that, uh, that line from stranger things, I think that, uh, that the weird, the weird guy, uh, I think his name is Murray. who wears the, the white tank top all the time. It helps him, helps him like defeat the Russians. Uh, I think Murray says it well when he, uh, he, he basically uh, doubles down on the relational potential of one secret ingredient, which is shared trauma. <laughs> and so <laughs> shared trauma will really do it for you, man. Uh, romantically, familially, whatever. And, uh, and it did that for us. We, we just found mm -hmm. ourselves really bound to one another. And, uh, and, and two, it was just a lot of fun, too. We were mm -hmm. in these new places um, we were meeting these new people, discovering new things, and uh, it was just a big, grand adventure. And mm. uh, and adventures are fun. Adventures also, you know, in, in the words of Bilbo Baggins, are nasty things that make you late for dinner. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> and it was such a, a painful and fraught time for everyone, whether you stayed home or traveled, that I think if you're going to choose a window to upend everything, everything is already upended. So you might as well be where, you know, you can get some bangers and mash, I suppose. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's already middle school. It's already COVID. Let's just 
find a little bit of silver lining here. All right, thousand percent. So you describe yourself as chronically curious. Have you ever been? Have you ever been different? Has that been your whole story? Have you cultivated that? What's the role of curiosity in the life of a, a birder and a person of faith? Well, yeah. So it's it's been a um, it's been a condition from birth, uh, certainly, and I think my parents can attest to that. Um, I, you know, it's one of those things that it's normal for me. I don't understand how other people are living different realities as they would not understand how I'm living this reality. I, I remember pulling, this is years ago. I think my wife and I were newly married. We were on a road trip, pulled, you know, like at 70 miles an hour next to this big flatbed truck that had this giant object on it covered by a tarp. And you could only see bits of it out either end. And I'm just staring and staring and staring. And, and Jennifer looks at me and she goes, what are you looking at? And I said, how much would you pay to know what was under that tarp and exactly where it was headed and what it was for? And she says, zero dollars. What are you talking about? I'm like, oh, well, it's a good thing we don't have a button in this car that would just debit my bank account because I'm up to $125 right now. <laughs> So I think it is, it has been a, a long time reality for me. Hmm. Um, I just think the world is fascinating and the world is layered and, and, you know, I mean, you get a telescope out and, and it just keeps going. Right. Hmm. And, and, uh, these deep field images, you know, you th thought it was a star and no, it's a galaxy. And, and there's just what I would call creation is infinitely complex and varied um, zooming out. And then you get an electron microscope out and you thought a grain of pollen was probably as simple as it got. And then you, you know, you 3X that image and then you 10X the next image. And lo and behold, it seems intricately, you know, infinitely intricate as you zoom in. And so mm -hmm. to me, uh, the world is just uh, just a, a myriad of wonders waiting to be discovered. And so that's true for me as a person of faith. Um, I, I feel like as I glimpse more and more of the world, whether that's nature or whether that's um, meeting a human being and, and learning their story, um, I feel like, among other things, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not just learning about the earth. I'm not just learning about a flower or a bird. I'm not just learning about a human being. I'm learning about the God who made them, who I'm in relationship with. And so anybody you're in relationship with, and you really dig that relationship. I mean, you're really into this person. Um, any chance you get to know them better is a delight. My wife and I have been married now for 23 years. Um, we started dating when she was 13 and I was 15. And so there's not a lot of our life at this point that was lived outside of one another. The Venn diagrams overlap <laughs> significantly. But every once in a while, she or I will come upon a story that the other one hasn't heard about mm -hmm. us. And, oh, that's so exciting, right? Because it's just mm -hmm. another pocket of of knowledge and intimacy that's yet to be discovered. And I feel like the world is offering those pockets about Yahweh, my God, all of the time. Hmm. And so how could I, how could I be anything less than uh, 
just insatiably curious when it comes to this world. And so, um, so yeah, and then as a birder in particular, which I would not, I would just for your listeners, just to cover the brakes for one second, because it will become apparent as we continue this conversation, I'm sure. I don't know that I have earned that merit badge quite yet. I'm super into it, but my sister and I go out and I feel like a fool. So she's super into it. Uh, so I don't know me, that I've earned the moniker. Let me just tell you about it. When it comes to earning the badge, our posture on this podcast is if you look out the window, see a bird, it brings you some joy. You're a birder. The bar oh, is on the ground. So, so there are different you levels. You know, okay. we're, you're not a professional ornithologist. I knew that when I invited Thank you on the you. show. Um, so, okay. you know, okay. beginner, so beginner birder or, or starter birder is, is still a birder. Thank you so much. Okay. So in terms I'm of- I'm going to ask you for some Latin names. Some Latin names of that's what we're doing next. It's going to be a quiz. Just okay. get ready. Let me okay. get my Google <laughs> machine close. All right. um, no, in terms of curiosity and birding, uh, birding, I think the the big thing for me is I love nature. I love the created world. I uh, love hiking and all of that. I love exploring new places and familiar places. And for me, as someone who just likes being in nature and discovering nature, birds, I think, are like a cheat code because... If you are interested, wherever you are at any given moment, whether you're out in the African savanna, um, well, maybe not on like a guided game drive. That might be the one exception. But like if you're on a forest walk or if you're in your backyard, the best chance you have at seeing local vertebrate fauna is birds, right? Like I, we live in the Ozarks. Um, we're on a couple of acres sort of out in the, in what feels like to me, the middle of nowhere. Um, I'll see deer. Um, and I think one time we saw, a, a, a groundhog, uh, squirrels. That's it. Right. So what's that? Like three species. Uh, otherwise it's, it's birds. And there are how many species I've noticed, you know, in the, in the year and a half that we've lived here. So to me, if you want to be curious about nature and you're into fauna as well as flora, birds, man, that's your mm. ticket. I love that. And I love your connection of curiosity to faith and your faith journey. Cause I think the stereotype that we see about Christians and it is true of, you know, some, some percentage of Christians is that we're not curious people that just read your Bible and be quiet about it. And, you know, this verse means X, it could never mean Y there's no nuance. Um, and I think reco recovering this idea of holy curiosity of awe of wonder is, is just so vital to the church. I, I heard an interview couple couple months back on the Holy Post podcast with uh, Karen Swallow Pryor, who said the, the greatest threat to the church right now is an underdeveloped imagination. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, you know, of all the threats that the church might be facing, that 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 is her take on that. And I've been I've been pondering that ever since. So you've spoken a little bit about how curiosity and your faith are in, integral to one another. Um, but how do you as a Christian see curiosity as um, not a luxury item and, and not a threat. Man. Um, well, I think there have been some really great discussions, sort of realizations in the, 
that I've noticed at least in the last couple of years at the way that curiosity um, functions as an antidote to judgmentalism and a pathway to empathy. And so I think in terms of human to human interactions, which is, is close to the heart of Christ, uh, ought to be close to the heart of any follower of Christ. We are all, um, if we are with him, interested in the reconciliation and the connection of, of all of humanity. Um, and I mean, if you want to, uh, if that is a priority for you, curiosity is, is a great way um, to, to lead you in that direction, right? And so um, if I look at you and I don't know you, I can, I can make decisions, make assumptions, or ask questions. And I think it's one of the most loving things a person can do is to, at the beginning of the discovery of, of a difference, um, just say, tell me more about that. Hmm. Um, and so curiosity, I think, is, uh, is a gift placed in us by a God who strangely longs to know us, right? Um, I think thinking of our, of God himself as curious might be a, a strange exercise. I mean, after all, he is famously in Christian doctrine, uh, omniscient. And so what is there to be discovered? And yet to me, creation birds, for example, um, is, is exhibit a of a, a an inherently curious divinity. Hmm. So why create a world uh, that that is so infinitely complex? Why cre- why not make a bird? It would have been enough. What a strange thing! Hollow bones and feathers and and you know this beak and it lives in trees and except when it's on the ground and you know it builds things without hands and like it what a, what an amazing creature to envision but that was so far from enough for him right it's like when i see like a, a, a just the myriad of of colors and shapes and forms and like we just talked about flight patterns even and and You've got some some birds that are, are um, coexisting, um, inhabiting different niches of a habitat. They they live in the same tree, and how do they coexist? Well, this large spruce, the top third is inhabited by this kind of you know this variation of the species. The middle third is where this species lives, and the bottom third. So this ridiculous multiplicity of expressions. Um, to me, uh, stems from a God who is just a God who wonders, what if? And, uh, and who is inherently curious about what, what this might look like or mm. you know, how this might be enjoyed uh, even. Um, different birds bring different pleasure to you uh, that bring pleasure to me. We each have our like favorites, right? And uh, and that's enough of a phenomenon that you can sort of have that as a standard question you ask on this podcast. I don't think it's an accident that you have favorite birds. I think 
that my God knew hmm. you would love that bird and this bird when he made them. And hmm. I think in his infinite wisdom and brilliance and ability, that's even a part of why he made those birds. Hmm. Um, so I, I think that that curiosity is inherent even in our creator. Um, and when we exhibit it, we're um, in part mirroring his you know, the, the magnificent way he inhabits the world and draws joy um, from, from the good things uh, around him. So, so yeah, I would say it's, it's essential to a person of faith. And if, if, um, if you believe that, that Genesis 1, that, that that drumbeat that he made this and it was good and he made this and it was good and he made this and it was good. If you believe that that's true, um, how could you not be curious about exploring that and, um, and exploring the one part of creation he said was very good, which is humanity. And then exploring the God who created all of this, um, that alone is, uh, is, is worth lifetimes of, of discovery and questioning and, um, and that's one of my favorite ways to inhabit, say, the, the narrative texts of the Bible, which is how I spend my working time telling these stories from the Old Testament, um, to sit inside those stories, um, sort of in a narrative meditation, uh, training my camera on different aspects of what's going on, um, but never missing the opportunity to train my camera on him mm. and to see different aspects of him that are revealed, I think, intentionally for us mm. in these stories. So many of these Old Testament stories are not didactic, I don't think, in terms of you know a, a simple, straightforward morality play. Mm. Um, I think they're, they're glimpses of our Heavenly Father given to us uh, because he knows that our own eyes and our own set of personal first-person experiences are not enough to comprehend him as this infinitely complex being. And so he gives us other eyes in scripture, mm. right? So you get to see him through the eyes of a wounded Tamar. You get to see him through the eyes of a, a scared Barak. You get to see him through the eyes of a, a penitent David mm. and, um, and what you see in each of those cases is a different facet of this incredible jewel of divinity. Mm. So you mentioned favorite birds. So you know I have to ask the podcast's most difficult question. Prepare <laughs> yourself. Yes. Today, Justin, just today, what's your favorite bird? Okay. So I'm going to say uh, the white-throated swallow. Uh, so I love swallows. The white-throated swallow to me is both what I think is, to me, the prettiest swallow and uh, has a, 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 a dear place in my heart because uh, during that season of traveling, I said we spent some time, uh, my family and I, in Cape Town. And uh, that whole Western Cape of South Africa is, is incredible. It's like this its own unique microbiome. So flora and fauna exists there that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. And traveling along that southern coast of, of Africa, um, you get to this place called the Garden Route. And 
we we did a safari uh, for my daughter's uh, what was that her eleventh or twelfth birthday there, and she loves elephants, and so we took her on a safari, and every we every morning we would go out on a on a drive, and every afternoon we would go out on a drive, and every time coming back in from these drives, um, especially the afternoon one, um, this this vehicle that we were in, sort of open air, you know, um, safari Jeep truck thing, um, would be just, just, um, like enveloped in a cloud of white throated swallows. And, um, and they were there because this vehicle would, would churn up bugs. Right. And, and so it was a, it was a feast for them, but, man, it felt like just, and, and was, I think, at this enchanted moment of uh, just every afternoon after seeing these extraordinary creatures now on our way home being cocooned in this hmm. vortex of uh, beautiful birds just diving and flitting and, um, and climbing. And uh, it was just a really, really special moment every day. Hmm. Um, and so... Uh, so that's, that's who I give the trophy to, uh, hmm. these days. I got to get to South Africa, putting it on the bucket list. Do <laughs> That's the problem with this podcast. The more people I talk to, the longer the list of places I need to travel to see all oh, the birds grows. Yeah. My husband is like, is this going to be our retirement? And I'm like, yep, <laughs> get ready, man. It's happening. 20 years or so. Um, so Justin, uh, we're going to wrap up with one final question. We, we talk about birds on this podcast. We talk about hope. And then we'll talk about where people can find your awesome podcast because we want to send people in that direction. Um, but where are you finding hope these days? Um, let's see. I'm finding a lot of hope in uh, forgiveness. Hmm. And so um, to me, the the task of being a human is, um, is, is too much. <laughs> uh, I, maybe some people are nailing it. I, I feel like I'm often not. And, um, if you are a thoughtful person and not a, not a sociopath, the <laughs> weight of your own imperfections and failings can really get heavy. And, uh, it just gives me so much hope to know that I, am loved and, and held close by a God who, um, who enjoys, doesn't just, isn't just willing to, but enjoys somehow forgiving me, um, and is able to, um, to regard my sort of the fallen state, the frail state of my humanity, uh, with tender, uh, compassionate eyes and, um, and who takes my weaknesses and my, you know, idiotic uh, mistakes and uses them as an opportunity for connection uh, rather than um, a reason to for distance. Mm. And so, uh, so forgiveness gives me hope. Uh, it's I think the the most miraculous thing um, in all of Christianity. Water to wine, amazing. Mm. Walking on water. Amazing birds, amazing forgiveness. Though uh, that's the one, uh, mm. and and I might not even believe it. It's that it's that miraculous. Um, mm. 
I might not believe it if not for the way that I see forgiveness these days reflected in my wife and through now my children who are teenagers now and in need of forgiving me and able to forgive me. And the grace that they show to me on a daily basis, um, it just is is otherworldly. It's it's like mm. wreckage from a UFO that you just go out into the field and find it, and you know as it smokes and sputters and fizzes and pops, this this did not come from here. Mm. Uh, and so, divine forgiveness um, channeled so often through. Um, these human agents inhabited by the divine um, gives me gives me hope and it, and it reminds me that there is a way for us to make it through all of this together mm. um, and grace grace is the way mm. they've forgiven you for the four hour walks <laughs> <laughs> Lord willing in time with enough therapy there's there's hope for us all. <laughs> Well, Justin, thank you so, so much for the the story of your journey and your travels and the white-throated swallows. Where can folks find you, your podcast, connect with you, learn more about those holy ghost stories? So so yeah, anywhere you listen to podcasts, um, you can find Holy Ghost Stories, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this fine podcast. Uh, Just search Holy Ghost Stories. And, uh, and yeah, so, uh, you can find it there. We do every episode tells a different story from the old Testament and, um, it's meticulously written. There's a full musical score, mm. uh, really lean in and, and try to, uh, make it an immersive listening experience, uh, with a story maybe you've never heard before, uh, or one that you thought you were familiar with and can rediscover. Um, so yeah, holyghoststories.org is the website. And uh, it's on Instagram. There you go. Perfect. I'll link to all that in the show notes. I've heard tell there are ravens. There are stories of ravens. There are so many birds in the stories, Courtney. (laughs) It is one of my uh, sort of go-to methods of world building and imagining sort of the uh, visual landscape, the soundscape that uh, surrounds these uh, people who lived so uh, long ago. And I think like including so many birds in these stories, uh, whether I'm filling in the details, just given where the story happened, or they're actually featuring in the biblical narrative in the case of the Ravens, um, both depending on the birds, uh, either pr- provides a sense of otherness, uh, and, and helps you to, to feel, um, how, uh, how special or, or different than your own experience this moment is. And it, it in many cases, uh, enables a sense of sameness to mm. where you understand, oh, I know ravens. Everything was different, but the birds were the same. That's it. <laughs> different That's clothes, it. different food, different culture, same ravens, being That's their right. same raven selves. Well, everyone check out Holy Ghost Stories. I will link to all those things in the show notes so you can find Justin and his great work. Justin, thank you for being with us today on The Thing with Feathers. My joy. Thank you so much for having me. The Thing with Feathers is produced by me, Courtney Ellis. Many thanks to Del Belcher for the music, to Todd Peterson for the name inspiration, and to Emily Dickinson for the beautiful poem and for being in the public domain. Until next time, my friends, keep looking up.
what is it going to show? Yes, it does.